Praise be to God. As we are looking at growing into holy people a second week, celebrating what God has done in our own lives and the work that He continues to do, and looking around, I talked to Pogs the other day, and and, uh, they're starting their big launch as they had a soft start here for a number of months, getting things figured out with kids ministry and church ministry and organization and found a spot in North Paso to meet weekly. So they're doing their big launch next Sunday. So I thought it'd be cool to open in a, in a word of prayer for them and also our time together as we continue to see the church be known by our love because that's what Jesus expects us to be known by the way we love one another and how we build one another up and how we see the church continue to spread and go and that's what Jesus prayed for that not just for his disciples but those that believe because of their word and that's us as the word continued to go and bring a good word to us that would save us so let's pray together God we thank you for the opportunity to open your word together and hear with with clarity we pray for open eyes and ears to hear from you through your word today and as Podge and Ben are starting Maverick and inviting the community and those down the street that don't yet know you, Lord. We know that your plan and your prayer is for us to hear, believe, be saved, and then go and share that message of hope and good news that those that once were against God can be adopted as sons and daughters as they believe and receive that gift of salvation through Jesus and that they would live that new life out. So we pray for just wisdom, clarity, unity for for Maverick Church, and and the impact they're going to have for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom. We pray for the churches that are meeting all around the Central Coast, California, and the world today, that are gathering, opening up your word, pointing people to you, that you'd hold back the enemy and bring gospel clarity and truth to transform lives that were once dead would become alive in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you hear Jesus' prayer, in a lot of the themes he's talking about, he's built up to, and then as you get into the New Testament, and you hear the Apostle Paul instructing, correcting, guarding the church, it's really a fulfillment of what Jesus was praying for and, and calling the church back to do the simple truths that Jesus expected us to. And it always boils down to, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. And it's this selfless, sacrificial saying, I know you're against me, but I'm going to serve you. I know you don't want me to, but I'm going to care for you in a way that you need, but you don't even acknowledge yet. And just wait. And then it gets into... This idea of growth, which we all love the idea of growth and people make tons of money off books with different titles of, you know, you have the power to change or you can, con- you know, control your calendar and here's how to grow and have a better budget by tomorrow. And, and all these self-help ideas, it really strikes that chord of, yeah, you know, I should be better. I could do more or I'm angry, I'm bitter, um, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, you know, I'm this way, but I should do more tomorrow. And I can. And the, the problem is, interestingly, looking at YouTube, podcasts, meetings, 
we have way more commitments than ever before, but yet we feel like we're less committed. We feel like we, we can't follow through, and there's this commitment issue, ah, I don't, which kind of pulls us back. I don't want to commit to that because I'm so overcommitted. And it, it doesn't always sound like that. So often it's, well, I'd, I'd go to church, but man, this weekend's really busy. We got these things going on, and then we, it's hard to get the kids out the door. Or, you know, if I go to church, I would go to that church. That's what I hear often. It's like, man, then just go. <laughs> but, and, and, and the reality is, God made us to rest. He made us and said, okay, work, but then rest. You can't continue to work. You can't keep going without stopping because I never made you that way. You have to rest. And as I see heads turning and smiling and elbows, some of you are the ones that are keeping your husbands working with all your to-do lists. Once they come home from work, here's here's the next list. Now, guys, you have to mentally be prepared for that emotional reality. As you come home to your real job, that's just the job that makes money to get your real job funded. And it's, it's the reality of our lives is it bumps into the tension of we can't make all these commitments, we can't work all these overtime, and then expect to come home and be on time and be on emotionally, physically. It's, it's too much. And so that leads to the next reality of why we're not growing as, as followers of Christ We're more connected than ever before, but we have less connection. We have less deep, intimate, true connection with with one another. We're we're constantly going, moving, and we have these meetings and phone calls and text messages. And even, you know, someone said to me in between services, I was going to text, but I just wanted to tell you face-to-face. That doesn't happen most often. Most of the time, we're just texting, we're just calling, we're running around, and it was amazing. I... And and all my faith was like, this is going to be a great event. I have the social media influencer who has 100,000 followers. He said he's going to invite them. We're going to go to Slow at this brewery and share the gospel. And Billy Graham's going to be in heaven just amazed. It's going to be awesome. And there are all these people are going to come. And and I'm an evangelist, so let's do it. How is this going to work out? So there we are in this bar in Slow. And my buddy, who is a social media influencer, figured out how to do that thing and market it and make money. I still don't know how it worked, but it, somehow he said it worked. And it's his family and two other people from church and then my in-laws and my wife. It was a great turnout. It was awesome. It was so, like, reality hit. We have all these connections. We're connected, but we don't have any real connection. We're connected to hundreds, if not thousands, or millions of people. And somehow YouTube sends people checks, but there's no connection. There's no actual, physical, real commitment or connection. And when you think about it, Jesus is praying for something that we, we've, we've settled for far less in every area of our lives. He's praying for the deep, true thing that as a church and as individuals, as a community, we've longed for. We need, but we don't know how to get. And, and so... Often we read this and it, it's hard. It's even one of the elders said, hey, this is familiar. Yeah, we're going to read it at least once a year, if not more. And it's where we distilled our, our obedient response to Jesus' prayer is the mission of the church. To know God, which is eternal life. To grow. That God would begin that work and continue that work. To think, act, and do the things that Jesus does 
to love the world that hated him, but he came and loved him anyway. And that the world would know that we're different. And as we go and share the reason why we love them, why we care, why we're loving each other, even at great cost, it's because he loved us at great cost to him. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He's acknowledging what Jesus was praying for, that we would be sanctified by his word, that his word would be so central in our lives. We'd be so, we'd be so committed to his word. We'd be so connected to his word that the effect of his word would be sanctification. And I know some of you are like, finally, we're talking about sanctification. Like I've been studying this all week. None of you are saying that, guaranteed. Even coming into this the last two weeks, it's like, how do we get excited about sanctification? We don't, because none of us get excited Tuesday morning of this week after a three-day weekend. Yes, I've been waiting all weekend to go to work. I get to put on my work boots and I still have cuts in my hands, blue-collared crew, or man, I get to get that pencil cramp in my finger again, the white-collar crowd writing things and more emails. I love it. I get to soften my hands up so when I get home and work, my lotion hands with no calluses can get all busted up. Like, this is work. But the amazing thing is that God says it's my work in you. And the frustrating thing is we... We want to take God's work and say, I know you wanted to do the work, but I actually am really good at doing spiritual things. If you didn't know God, you created me, I got this. Let me do the work. And I can do this. I've, I got a book off Amazon coming. They said it'd be here tomorrow, but it's actually a month out. I don't know what happened. But when I get it, then it'll help me do the... See, the problem is we, we go there. And Paul says it simply in 1 Thessalonians, and that's our first point, is it's time to do what Jesus did and pray. Jesus could be like so many of us who are anxious and depressed and I don't know, this is so weird. I only had three years with these guys and now I'm going to die. Like this is, I think we need to reevaluate our plan here because they're not ready. Any moms, you'd be there. Hey, they're not ready. I can't leave them. Like Peter still needs me to tie his shoes. He takes eyes off me all the time. Like, I don't know, Thomas is just doubting all the time. He like can't go to sleep. He's anxious and... I don't know, these other guys, they're probably not going to get any credibility. They're not going to get any cred in the Bible. I don't know what to do. Like, we need more time. They need to do more things so they can get written about. So there's only a few. John's good. I love John. Like, he's good. He'll write some crazy stuff, like really crazy. The end of the book, he'll, he'll seal the deal for us. John's good. Everybody, we need to talk about this. That's not Jesus here. Jesus is like, hey, I just pray they'd be one. The enemy's going to attack and try and divide. They need to be one. They need to be controlled and just pursuing, loving one another. Got to keep it simple. And, and Paul's echoing that as he's concluding his prayer for the church in Thessalonica. And they're, they're freaking out and stressed out about the end and, and when the rapture happens and who gets to go to heaven and, and their sweet grandma who passed away. Does she get to go or did she die and miss it? Like... Jesus is coming back any minute now is what they were thinking. And so after he confirmed what he'd already taught them and really focused them, hey, don't worry about the details. Worry about the work of the Lord. And he says in, in verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast, 
what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And then he says, now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Have your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The challenge is we look at that and we go, okay, that's cool, but how do I do this? And what do I need to do? And what's the next step for me to, to get ready to maybe date someone or, or get a promotion at work or change my marriage? And instead of saying, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. May the God of peace. Do we, do we slow down and pray? And when we pray, do we wait for him to speak? Or are we just constantly telling God our problems and telling God our ideas or solutions or telling God great things he could do if he would just listen and get an order? But here, Paul's saying rejoice always. Like everything we faced and we're about to face if they do lockdowns and economy, we're like, are we supposed to be rejoicing? When people come up to me, oh my goodness, Pastor, what's happening? I don't know. I'm like, uh, are you rejoicing right now? Because it doesn't sound like it. You should be excited. Jesus said horrible things were going to happen, and horrible things are happening. We should be rejoicing. Jesus didn't lie. But instead, we're like, ah, horrible things are happening. I don't know. Should I buy into the bricks thing or gold, or how do I get more ammo? Like, I'm freaking out. Instead of rejoicing. Jesus isn't a liar. He's telling the truth, and this is true. It's happening. But we have to realize that we need to be praying always. Because if we're not praying, it gives an opportunity for the enemy to distract us, to distort truth. And then we get anxious, and then we get depressed. And th- those are warning signs. Those are check engine lights saying, oh, are you praying? You're not praying, you're worrying, you're getting anxious. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't ever have an anxious thought. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be consumed by your anxiety about what you're gonna eat if you have enough ammo, if you have enough gold, like don't be worried about what you're going to wear. Look at how God takes care of everything he created. But he created you. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the sanctifier. Positionally, progressively, and then to glorification, he's going to see it through. So if anyone can be trusted, it's him. So we acknowledge that we need to be in prayer. That our mind has to identify the, 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 the check engine lights of our lives that say, hey, the engine's kind of going. And so many of us, when a check engine light comes on, if you're like me, it's like, sweet. Like, is this like an electrical thing? Because I'm that age where it's like, oh, it's fine. It's just a wire got crossed. It'll be, it's not running bad. But then eventually it's like, I should probably call a mechanic to actually let me know if it's just electrical or if the engine's about to explode. And usually it's probably the engine's about to explode and we need to take care of it because I found that out. And it's like, okay, glad we pulled over, took care of it, made sure that we didn't have any catastrophic damage. But spiritually, we're like, yeah, I mean, I know there's check engine lights, but I got this. I'll just order a book off Amazon. Uh, maybe I'll look for a quick verse in the Bible that'll make me feel good. Yeah, there's one, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. God doesn't want to harm me. Perfect. Everything's fine. I'll just pray. It'll be good. But do we look at... Oh, Jeremiah 29 talks about living in California, not trying to move away, and praying and being about its prosperity. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Jeremiah 29 actually calls me to be a missionary here. I can't do that. Unless what Paul tells us in Galatians 2.20, the life we live now in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith in the Son of God. 
See, from Paul's point of view, he's saying, look, if you believe that Jesus is your Savior, then it's his life you're living for his glory, for his purpose. So Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry. If I bring you to a place where there's not as much food as you're used to, or instead of a whole walk-in closet with like closets all organized, you just have one pair of clothes. Don't worry. I got you. I'll take care of you. It's for my glory. It's for my kingdom. And as, as, a, as a church, we have an opportunity to see this. And that's where we have the confirmation if we're saved or not, is how we respond to those. And that's why Paul's telling the church in Galatia, hey, they've lied to you. It's not about you doing all these good things and, and being religious and here checking these to-do boxes. It's that God is your sanctification. God positionally saved you and he's going to grow you. But are you going to hold fast to Christ? Or are you going to say, hey, thanks for the death. That was kind of gruesome and gross. But I guess if you wanted to die, that's up to you. I'm going to go live my life my way. And that's what he's, he's pushing and challenging. and saying, no, it's no longer your life. It's Christ who's living through you. So you're my life. I believe that you're living in me. When you believe this way, we live that way. No matter what happens, we no longer make any move. The idea of Romans 7 is that we should not make any resolutions. The basic teaching is simply because we're willing to be used by him, it's useless to do anything by ourselves. We should just stop and wait for him to move. And, and John tells us in 1 John, if anyone claims to be in Jesus, we must walk in the same way in which he walked. Which means any kind of walk, if Jesus just walked straight and then we were like, okay, I'm going to walk like Jesus. And we did this weird walk thing, which if you've ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the actual like, comedic skits, it's kind of weird humor. Not everyone likes it. I think it's kind of funny. They had like a little skit, like the OG Saturday Night Live that wasn't political. It was just weird humor. Um, and they're like the school of weird walks. And then I thought of that. When I read that verse, and I was like, yeah, I mean, if the disciples had these weird walks where they're just doing somersaults, and I think now, as I see my daughters who do gymnastics, if you've ever had a kid that does gym, they walk weird. They're just walking like normal, and all of a sudden it's a cartwheel, or it's a back little thing, and, and they're just swimming in the pool like normal kids, and all of a sudden it's like a gym competition. They have all these things, and it's like, that's not, my body doesn't do that. Like, I don't think that's healthy or good for you. But they survived, and we didn't go to the ER. It was amazing. But when you think about our body movements, that's what it's getting our ideas to say. Are we living for ourselves? Are we self-disciplined and saying, I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to take a step. Basic life functions. You're not going to breathe or think unless you're going to do it how God tells you. Are you that committed to Him? Are you that connected to Him that you know what the next thing is to do because He's told you? So this Jehoshaphat was a king in Second Chronicles and he was terrified that he got the news that he was going to be attacked and he begged the Lord for guidance and he ordered everyone in Judah to fast. And we see his response when he was faced with a, a terrifying and challenging reality that was before him. He prayed. Dr. Caroline Leaf is an author of Switch on Your Brain, and she's a communication pathologist in neuroscience and has master's and PhDs. And she said, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain 
to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. So when they look at someone's brain, and then they look at someone's brain who is praying just 12 minutes a day, focused prayer over eight weeks, it'll actually change the brain in, in such a significant way they'll measure it on a brain scan. I wonder what Paul's brain would have looked like. Pray without ceasing. Or Jesus' brain when he's praying. So, and we go, oh, we're anxiety and depressed. Yeah, because we're not praying. And it's, and it's harsh to say, but the reality is we can't pray because we're trying to do it on our own. And we don't pray because we're not hearing God's word. And so time and time I hear stories. And as a pastor, that's how my brain deducts it. It's going, hey, I was anxious. The job was too much. The time was too much. I was overcommitted, and I, was, I had all these connections. I couldn't, and then I had post-it notes explode all over my car with God's word. And then all of a sudden, the commitments lowered, and they were doable. And all of a sudden, the pressure left, and all of a sudden, God's word replaced any anxiety and fear with promise, with hope, with acknowledging I'm anxious and naming it And I'm naming depression, I'm naming anxiety, I'm naming this weight, and I'm giving that to the Lord. And all of a sudden, God said, yeah, I'm big enough to handle it, and I put you here. And I brought you to this place where you realize you can't do it without me, because you live as Christ, and to die is gain. That you no longer live, it's Christ who's living in you, and through you. And so if we pray just 12 minutes a day, over eight weeks, it'll transform our brain, which is amazing, because Jesus knows that. In conversation, he's like, hey, I know you're going to be freaked out, especially in a year and a half when I die and rise again and leave you. Like, that's going to be terrifying. You're going to be anxious. You're going to wonder where you're going to eat, sleep, drink. Don't. Don't be anxious. And it probably frustrates you, those that struggle with anxiety and depression, because I would be frustrated if Jesus was like, yeah, just, you need to be more detail-oriented. Like, I can't do that. I'm just big picture, like, hey, it's all good. I'll just go surf, and when I'm done surfing, I'll get out. But as I found out, people, there should be time constraints on certain things. And you got to be home when you say, and, and there's different things that, like, that's considerate to communicate. But when Jesus says, yeah, don't be anxious, don't worry, everything's fine. Those of you that are very detail-oriented, and even for me, the older I get, it's like, wait, we said we were going to do this, and now we're just kind of waiting, Lord. What, what are we going to do about this? And I need, to, I need to grow. I need to be better. But for his timing and his placement. And even before we landed here, there was a season where I was like, okay, hey, Lord, we need to figure out what the next step is, and I need clarity on where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. And there's very few opportunities on the Central Coast even in California, and the way things are going, it would be a lot more comfortable for me and my family, the way we align, to not be in California. So if there's another place like it with waves, I don't know if that's possible, but that's kind of a personal choice, like coast, I don't, and God was like, no, you're just staying here, just going to move a little bit north, here's the church I have for you. But it's through prayer, it's through constant surrender and saying, okay, it's your will, your way, your timing. And the interesting thing is he created our brain that wouldn't be fixed, but would be, it's the neuroplasticity that is constantly either we choose to rewire it to cause us pain and hurt and, and problems, or we have it transformed and renewed with God's word. And the problem starts when we're dwelling. Instead of acknowledging the, the check engine light, when we dwell on things, 
that are lies, not the truth of God's word. We see in, in scripture the anxiety in the, in the Bible, it says, Mary, no, is dwelling or pondering on fearful or anxious thoughts, meditating on negative thoughts, training your brain to be anxious. And it's natural to think what could go wrong. That's something I, I should probably do more of, especially as I'm older with kids, right? I do things and my wife's like, why did you, I didn't think, I, I'm an, like I should have thought about that. Like, and then the more I look at her and I go, wow, you're so wired to think in a, in a mothering, like nurturing, caring way. And, and it's natural to think that, but when you go to the extent of letting that consume you and be fearful and worried, that's where prayer breaks a cycle, where you can say, okay, I thought th this through, and now I'm not going to be worried about what could happen. I'm going to let, let God handle it and let him be in control. Second Chronicles 20.12 says, For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When Jehoshaphat was looking at the army, he's like, we don't know what to do. We're not ready for this. This is not something we have figured out, but our eyes are on you. Is that you? When you're looking at growth, when you look at a life group or a Bible study and you're like, man, I don't feel like I'm equipped to go be a part of this. I'm not a scholar in scripture and I feel out of sorts. I think as, as a guy, it's like, yeah, I could see how that, you know, you go into a group and you don't know if everyone's going to be breaking down, expositing word for word, the Greek and the Aramaic and like there's, that's a, that would be anxious. Like if I really wanted to contribute and and I remember going into Bible studies as a young man, and there's older, wiser pastors, people, and it's like elders, and I'm like, uh, I just got up at six and thought I'd come study the, study the Bible, but you're like breaking stuff down, and I can't really follow you. Or when you look at your marriage, and you're like, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know if we can really make this work. Or you look at your finances, or you look at the future, and what that holds for your kids, or... A diagnosis for you or, or your kids and what's are you gonna make it are they gonna make it but if you can look to God and, and give him your anxiety and say okay we don't I've thought this through and I don't know about what it's gonna look like but I'm gonna give it to you first Peter 5 7 says cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you God cares if it's on your mind it's on your heart he knows all things he's not surprised like oh my goodness you're anxious well that's weird why would you do that I told you and Matthew not to do that look at the birds I took care of them. I'll take care of them. no he's like yeah you're right it is in your normal thinking emotions name that depression anxiety what's keeping you from growing you're not weird for having these emotions but those emotions don't have power over you. We see that it's not a what you need to do, it's a who you need to look to. It's not what you're not doing or what you're doing, it's who are you looking to and who are you giving your anxiety to. We see it's who you need to look to. The Lord is my shepherd, the psalmist writes in Psalm 23, one through four, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And Jesus comes and says, I'm the good shepherd, John 10, 14. 
And he clarifies, John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest, it says in the NIV. And the cross will not produce any effect on those who trust in their own work. When we insist on our own goodness, we will not be saved. But when we turn away from ourselves to the Lord, we will be saved. And so as we look at our time in prayer, are we looking to Jesus and the cross and seeing how he accomplished our salvation? And he is the one who's the founder and perfecter of our faith. And he's the promised He's the one who made that promise to see our growth all the way through until he comes back and we get to experience that glorified state without the weight of the old man and the sin in our lives. So we see now as we pray and pray without ceasing, rejoice always, it's time to grow. We can grow because it's not up to you. It's not up to you to read the Bible and all of a sudden have this aha moment of, I never used to read and now I read and I understand everything. That doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen with first the cross and you coming to the cross and saying, I'm a horrible sinner in need of a savior who's loving and good and promised to give me the helper that's going to help me understand God's word. And so we see the time for growth as a church and and in your own relationship with Christ It is instantaneous as Hebrews 10.10 says that we've been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus once and for all. But it's also progressive, 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity, when he comes back. And it's complete when Christ returns in 1 John 3.2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, he shall be like him. We shall be like him, because we'll see him. And Hebrews 12 says, you can't see him without holiness. So the whole point of our growth, thinking, looking, acting like Jesus is so that we would see him when he returns in his holiness and we would be holy as he's holy because of his work in and through us. And that's, it's hard to humble ourselves. It's hard to get into that posture of surrender. No one starts uh, an argument or no country starts a battle and, and talks about surrender right in the gate. Hey, just before we argue, I want you to know I surrender. Everything you say is, is right, I'm wrong. Let's just get that out of the way. Okay, now let's argue. But Jesus comes and that's what he's saying. Hey, just so you know, I love you. I'm a, I died on the cross for you. You are my enemy, but I already saved you. So just so you know, I need you to repent now and believe and be saved. And I'm gonna do the work and I'm gonna grow you and I'm gonna prepare you it's this amazing gift that when you do I climb up in my mom's womb like how how do I do this I need a system I need a religion tell me how I can be saved and how I can be reborn and Jesus is like no it's not it's that's a physical representation of the spiritual of what I'm gonna do and you heard the God at work story I was angry I was bitter and then it was no longer I who was angry or I who was bitter but it was Christ forgiveness in me. It was Christ's love in me that flowed out and I could forgive. And you can't do that. And that's why so many people leave here and go, oh, I can't do it. I'm not going to go back to church. Yeah, don't. Because you can't save yourself. Just go live in your sin because this is the only life you have. 
But Jesus says, I have something way better. But it requires your surrender. It requires you to pray with me constantly. It requires for you to allow me to work in you. And I have eternity. And I have all the inheritance. And this relationship between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you can have that unity. You can have that commitment and that connection that I've prayed for and accomplished for you. But you have to surrender. And that's the posture that that we get at and, and really that clarifies are we saved or not. Because if you say, yeah, I surrender, I believe that Jesus died for me. But you live still fighting against God and you live in your sin and you're loving it, there's no, there's no one who's going to die for you. Jesus already did and you said you believed, but then you live differently, which was evidence that you didn't actually ever surrender. It's, it's always appalling to me when you hear about the Japanese that are hiding up into the jungle and years after the wars ended, they're still fighting because they just didn't hear the word. There was anger, there was anxiety and depression, and they're fighting, and the war's over. But they didn't ever hear the word that the war was over. They didn't, they didn't ever hear that there was a surrender that took place. And it's interesting because in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. As we share the good word, as we, as we share the hope of the gospel that God's begun that work, we just have to surrender. Let's not be people that are just hiding and, and looking for opportunities to fight and attack, but, but be the church that God says, look, you have to love as I love Walk as I walk. Serve as I serve. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And that's the, the challenge of, of sanctification because knowing God's eternal life. Okay, I know God's eternal life. Now be sanctified in your word. What does that word mean? Consecrate. Like There's these big, heavy realities that cause us pause because there's the gap of what we can... Okay, I can believe and be saved. I can, I can acknowledge what he did for me, but now I have to let him continue to grow me. And that's the challenge. Because that's, that's where, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you. That means you have to allow him to move you to places where he has to show up with his grace because you're not sufficient on your own. And 1 Corinthians 1, 30 says, Christ Jesus became wisdom to us from God both righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that Jesus means without him we're not wise, and without him we're not righteous, we only do what is self-pleasing. Without him, we can't be sanctified, we can't become holy in that process that ensues, and ultimately redemption. And for those of us who've been humbled, and who've surrendered and accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're like, yeah, bring on the work, transform me, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult. I have some selfish tendencies. Okay, maybe I'm selfish a lot. They're not just tendencies. And okay, that's a lot of work and I have to surrender. And there's, every time there's an opportunity to serve, I don't want to serve. I want people to serve me. And, oh, what did Jesus say? I came to serve, not be served. Okay, I need to change my thinking. And then we see how wonderful Colossians 3, 4 is. Christ is our life. And we grasp hold of that in his word. We understand, oh, I, anything that happens to me, that's fine. I'm, I'm dead. The life I now live, I live in Christ. I'm 
completely here to serve as Christ's servant. When you look at Jesus, he wasn't golfing, surfing. He wasn't just, hey, you know, I'll check in with you guys in a couple days. I've just had a lot of uh, you time, not me time. I'm out. Jesus was doing him and God time when everyone else was sleeping. He got up early. So the 8 a.m., 7 a.m., he's ready to minister again. And then he stayed up late when everyone else to get his time with the Lord. But he wasn't just like, man, I've had a lot. I'm going to go get a sweet latte and just post up on the beach. I'm going to mountain bike all day. You guys just kind of just don't mess things up. I'll check in with you when I do, right? I just need some me time right now. No, he said, I came to serve. And it's time to praise as we look at what God has done in our lives. We praise God for saving us, for forgiving us in Acts 28, for bringing unity with Christ in Hebrews 2.11. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, that it's Jesus. It's, he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Think about it in, in, in terms of this with our position before God, that Jesus was the only perfect offering that could take away the sins of the world and adopt us as sons and daughters. When, when my son's at home and I have expectations as a son, he's my son. But when he doesn't do that and a friend comes over and, and does the expectations, there's no amount of work that his friend can do to, to earn his place in our family unless there's an adoption that takes place. But so often, this carnal thinking is we could show up at church, we could hear God's expectations and do them without believing in His Son, without receiving adoption as sons and daughters and expecting that God would somehow look at us and go, wow, you cleaned the dishes and you took out the trash. That's awesome. You get to come into, you know what? I just wrote you into my will. Like, that never happened to me at my friend's house. Like, my friend's like talking back to his mom and I'm all polite. I, I, maybe I'll get rid of the well. I don't think so. That's not how it works. But yet we come to church and we're like, dude, I read the book one time. I went to church. I'm totally getting into heaven. Really? Why? Because you put your, your dishes in the sink? You, did, you took your shoes off before you went in? Like what? On what basis do you think you get to get in? You denied Christ and his work. And you're not allowing him to continue to work in your life. The authority of his word, it brings us peace knowing that we are his and he's ours. And when we're anxious or depressed or when we need to grow, we don't have to carry the weight on our own. We give those anxieties and depression to the Lord. We know the next step he's called us to do is what he's called us to do because we're in community. We're in a life group or we're in a Bible study or we're with our spouse and our kids and going, hey, this is what God's word says. How do we do that? When it says give your enemy a cup of cold water, does that mean that your enemy in school, you should just keep putting cups of cold water on his desk? Maybe if it's a hot day, that might make sense, but probably it's more, are you praying for them? And are you nice to them when they're mean to you? How do you do that? Hey, you know that coworker that's just so depressed and harsh to everyone? How do you treat them with gentleness? And how do you share the love of Christ with them? You know that spouse? that just doesn't want to submit to the Lord and you keep wanting to run faster to the Lord, how do you pray for them constantly? How are you, how are you open with, with family or a life group? Hey, pray for us. It's just hard. It's going through a tough season. Proverbs twelve twenty five 
Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. God the Father knit you together in your mother's womb, knew you before you were born, created you, pursued you. While you were running away from God, he was running after you and showed you how much he loved you by sending his son to die on the cross, rise again, do the work that was needed to take God's wrath, and now he said, I'm going to sanctify you. And Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth, that we would continue to hear God's word, grow in that grace and knowledge that we would go, but we have to grow first. We have to behold Jesus, cling to him, understand him, so that we can share the mercy we receive. We can love as he's loved us. When, when our spouse or our kids, we have opportunity to love them as God loved us and put their needs before our own. As we heard from the, the testimony and even Scott and Mary, their son is playing for Maverick and they're gonna help make these burritos for the church and, and they continue to, they, they make burritos for the homeless and Echo, and they're like, hey, anyone else that wants to cook, we would let them actually take a shift. Like, we cook a lot for a lot of people. It's like, yeah, those are the behind-the-scenes ministry that happens at a church like this. And, and as my phone rings, and there's all these needs from visits in a hospital to people needing food or cars breaking or things repaired or, or set up at a house, it's amazing to see how not just the life groups but as you grow, how you're starting to serve one another, and it's not about me or you, it's about his glory and his church. That's what Jesus prayed for, that we'd be known by loving one another. But when the enemy deceives and gets us so self-focused and divided, then we're only concerned about our kingdom, and that's depressing, and that's anxiety-riddled because we... We're never meant to do it alone. We were always meant to be in community, connected to the Father, connected to one another, serving one another, meeting each other's needs, and that's what we were designed for. And so as we close, and the communion is passed around, it's a perfect time for us to consider where we're at with the Lord. If you're a believer, this time's for you. Because God's wrath was meant for you and me, it was meant for us because we turned our back on him and chose to sin. And he said, no, my love is greater. My, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. I've sent my son to die in your place. And I know you can't do it on your own, but I'm gonna save you, redeem you, restore you. I'm gonna sanctify you, begin that work, and I'm gonna see it through so that you can be made holy. And so it's a time for the believers to say, okay, where in my life do I need to grow? Is it in my view of serving? And is it in my understanding of loving my wife or loving my kids? Is it in view of respecting my husband? Is it in view of your, your place of employment? Are you running a business that reflects the king? Are you an employee that that is working as if you're working for God? Are you in a home, are you leading a home or in a home that needs more Jesus? Are you, are you growing in that submission and, and putting off the old and putting on the new of gentleness and love and, and kindness and putting away wrath and anger and unforgiveness?
And for those that have never believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the, the communion isn't for you because you didn't believe in his body that was on a cross and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And the, the reality we do communion every Sunday is because we have to remember the saving work, the growing work, and then the, the reason to go, it's all because of Jesus, as he's made us new and transformed our thoughts that we can love our spouse, our family, our friends, our enemies, as he loved us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the prayer for our growth, that you wouldn't be appalled to save us, to save me, Lord, as worthless as I am. You saw the worth and the potential and the promise, and you saw the need to die in our place. And as we receive that work on the cross, we acknowledge that we're saved by grace through faith, and that were your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in this. That we would walk in the same way in which you walked. Loving, kind, gentleness, putting away wrath or anger or malice, envy, and the lust of the flesh. That we would pursue you and be transformed by your word to be selfless and to be known by our love. And we pray for those who have yet to trust in you that they would call upon your name, Jesus, be saved, and that you would position them as set apart and begin that work that you are faithful to complete, to change how they think, act, and, and, and love, to be like Jesus, so that we all are ready and eagerly awaiting your return, Jesus, and that we might see you because we've been made holy and set apart for your purpose, for your glory. Lord, we, we acknowledge now the areas in our lives where we fall short. And we acknowledge the encouragement from your word that you shared to Paul is my grace is sufficient for you and your weakness. That we would have that posture of surrender. And that you would meet us there, fill us with your spirit, empower us to overcome the challenges and trials we face each day. In Jesus' name, amen.